0: Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered, CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, back for another great episode. And today's guest is John Goodman, and I'm really excited to have John join us to share some of the great work he's doing in the field of customer experience. John, welcome to All Things Considered CX podcast. Please introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hey, Bob, thanks very much. Uh, I guess uh, our uh, greatest claim to fame, and I've been doing this for about 40 years, is uh, we started out as an ad hoc student group in the basement of Harvard Law School uh, over 40 years ago and have yet to get real jobs. But uh, one of our uh, claims to fame is that Business Week credits us due to our White House study that we did in the 1970s and early 80s as instigating the use of 800 numbers for customer service. Uh, We had done a cross-section survey of the U.S. population and found that when customers had a problem and didn't complain, they were less loyal. But if they had a problem, complained, and were satisfied, they were much more loyal. And I was talking about this data in a conference, and it was a guy from General Electric in the audience who said, hmm, Maybe we ought to talk to our customers. So he went back and set up the GE Answer Center, which was the granddaddy of customer service systems. And then we worked with people like American Express and Toyota and Procter & Gamble after that. Uh, Since then, we have moved on from just complaint handling to customer experience. And I've written the book, Customer Experience 3.0, which is being proactive and preventive and engaging when appropriate. And then my latest book is customer, strategic customer service uh, from HarperCollins, which uh, really looks at how does one really empower the front line to deliver what the customer wants and how does one create a more robust voice in the customer process.
0: John, that's great. And, and I remember the GE Answer Center and to my listeners, I just can't recommend John's approach uh, more, and so grab grab his books and read because you'll get some really in depth knowledge that sticks. I like to say we need knowledge that sticks in this in this profession, and and John certainly has a great way of doing that, as evidenced by his background and the years he's been in this field. So we're really honored and privileged to have John join us. So John, let's let's kick it off and let's jump right in right away and. One of the topics that you've mentioned is the whole concept of customer onboarding. And we don't often think about this because we spend a whole lot of time focused on uh, how do we market to to prospects. Uh, Sales focuses on how they can acquire the customer. And customer service departments lament the fact that we didn't onboard the customer properly. And so there's questions or new contacts coming into the customer service organization that could have been handled better had we onboarded. So we're all excited because we've gained a new customer or we retained an existing customer. And yet we don't really do a good job of bringing them into the fold, so to speak, and, and having them become a part of our organization. And so I think this is just a great place to start and have you kind of share with us what you're seeing as the problem and and what organizations can do to address this whole concept of customer onboarding and so they create a sustainable customer relationship.
1: Uh, Bob, thanks very much. Uh, I think onboarding is probably the most poorly performed function in most companies and is a huge opportunity for customer care from, from a number of perspectives. And the the reason that the problem exists is that sales guys, as as you alluded to, are really interested in closing that sale and then immediately running to the next prospect. And education and onboarding customers is really sort of boring, and and a lot of customers don't really want to be onboarded. Uh, in, in the auto industry, the customer buys the car, and the first thing they want to do is drive it off the lot, as opposed to sit there and be educated on the navigation system and pairing the phone and all that good stuff. So so you really have a challenge on both sides in that sales doesn't want to do it and the customer really doesn't want to receive it. But at the same time, if they aren't educated, the customer has a much higher probability of running into problems and questions, uh, creating a bad first impression for the product And the opportunity is that if customer care says, look, give us the resources to do onboarding the right way, uh, there's real data that shows that there's a tremendous payoff if if you do that. And so we we basically find that uh, there are six steps in in customer onboarding that need to be done. And, And the problem is top management hasn't affixed the accountability for that to anybody in most cases.
0: Interesting uh, about accountability, John, and don't we know how important that is in the organization. So what do you think is preventing companies from, from uh, the onboarding? And of course, love to hear those six steps that you wanna share with our audience.
1: Well, the, I think the, the basic reason is that nobody's really looked at the cost of, of mm. not onboarding a customer. And if we've done an analysis of, of customer points of pain across the customer journey for a whole range of, of companies, we've worked with 45 of the Fortune 100 at one time or another. And what we find is that between 20 and 30% of all customer problems are due to poor onboarding where the customer gets into trouble on something that had they been even slightly educated, they wouldn't have run into that. Or the other difficulty is that uh, the customer has an unpleasant surprise where it's, wait a minute, you didn't tell me about that. And for instance, uh, there's a very large logistics company where their sales reps will tell the customer lease a hundred of our trucks and your uptime will be fantastic and life will be beautiful. To his great credit, the group VP of marketing then interjects, but let's talk about when one of those trucks breaks down, uh, we're gonna spend two hours trying to repair it before we give you a new truck because refrigerator trucks are $200,000 a copy and we don't have a lot sitting around. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to educate the customer on those potential problems that, that at one time or another are going to occur so that uh, the customer doesn't say, wait a minute, uh, I want a truck instantaneously, and, and you never told me that you were going to take two hours to try and repair it. So it's, it's identifying the three most prevalent, unpleasant surprises that you're pretty sure they're going to run into at some point and educating on, on that, those issues before the customer encounters them.
0: So, John, talk to me a little bit about, uh, because I'm guessing the example you just gave about the logistics company is a business-to-business environment. And, and oftentimes we hear about, uh, well, we're business-to-business and that doesn't apply, or we're business-to-consumer and that doesn't apply. And I, I'm not suggesting that I believe that there are differences, but what are you seeing in terms of, of that argument that says, well, that won't work for us, we're, we're one or the other? Yeah. Uh, Basically, what
1: we find, unfortunately, is that business customers behave very, very similarly to to the airheaded consumers that that we always run into. In that, I I recently did a poll of about 250 CEOs of small and medium-sized businesses, up to about 200 million in, in revenue. And I said, what percentage of your customers really don't read their contract and don't know what they bought? And the general estimate was 30 to 40%. And these are people who are paying you $100,000 a month and they haven't really read their contract or understood what they got. Or the other thing we've run into in in technology companies, uh, IBM is sort of one example where we ran into this, was that uh, the person who buys the product or the the software or the, the enterprise system knows what they bought but the users have never been educated. And it was to the point where IBM actually created post-sales education teams to go into the bank and say, okay, this is what your boss bought. Here's how you use it. And here's how you get support, et cetera, et cetera. Because it became such a serious problem that the people below the purchaser didn't understand what had been bought. There was tremendous amounts of dissatisfaction.
0: Wow, those stats are amazing to me, John. I, I mean, I I teach uh, supply chain and operations, and we spend a lot of time talking about each component, including purchasing. And to hear that thirty four to forty percent don't read their contracts is is almost frightening to me in the business world these days.
1: Well, everybody makes assumptions, and, and an awful lot of those assumptions are are incorrect. For for instance, uh, the uh, Uh, The third step, and and I'll I'll go into my six steps in a minute, but the the third step is you educate the customer on the three most prevalent problems. And we had an insurance company uh, that found, not, not to our surprise, but to their surprise, that people don't read their homeowner's policy. And normally when I'm giving a speech and I have 100 people, I'll say, how many of you have read your homeowner's policy cover to cover? I get one or two hands and I tell those people to get a life because, you know, <laughs> you know who has the time to do that? But uh, there, there is a ticking time bomb in your homeowner's policy, which is called the valuables limitation. And in a lot of homeowners policies, that limitation is $5,000. So if your house burns down and you have more than $5,000 of jewelry, or in Alabama, your trivia fact for the day is that the average Alabama has $7,000 worth of guns, that uh, you're not going to be reimbursed for those when you file your claim. And the customer's reaction is, "Wait a minute! You're a bunch of crooks! You're you're not paying me! You know after I bought my homeowner's policy." Well, did you read your contract? And so the welcome letter for this insurance company says, "Welcome to the family." There are three things most customers don't realize about their policy. Number one, we have a limitation on value, uh, valuables, and all of a sudden the customer sees it. Now, what was interesting was sales hated that letter. Oh, we're rubbing their nose in a limitation. Well, the customer reads the letter and says, oh, well, I have more than $5,000. Can I buy a rider? Can I give you more money? Mm-hmm. So in fact, by educating the customer on the limitations of the product, you generate more revenue and you eliminate down the road, you're a bunch of crooks, you slid this by me.
0: Mm-hmm, wow. Uh, well, of course, I just got my my homeowner's policy renewal for 2021, and it's over 100 pages, John. So now I'm guilted into going back and reading it, uh, even if, even <laughs> or or get a life, one of the two. Uh, I love it. So, John, how do organizations approach this? What a, what's the road path for success here?
1: Okay, the 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 first two steps are a challenge, uh, and they're almost never done. First, you can't educate a customer if you don't know who the new customer is. So you have to formally flag the customer uh, when they open the account. Or and, and the challenge is if they buy from a retailer or from a channel, you may not know they bought. So one of the challenges is how do you get the customer to register with you. Now, warranties is one way, but only 20 or 30% of the world really, really registers for warranties. So uh, in many cases, you can offer benefits or loyalty clubs. For instance, PetSmart uh, will offer to sell you, to, to send you your uh, receipt by email, uh, even if you're just buying a, a, a bag of dog food. Oh, can I send it to you by email? Ah, all of a sudden we know who the customer is. Uh, or they'll say, join our loyalty club, and then you get discounts on other stuff. And the reason is that if you you can uh, get them registered, not only are you giving them discounts, but you can educate them and cross sell them on uh, higher margin products. And so the the basic point is you need to figure out how can we flag who the new customers are. Now, there's also an interesting thing uh, in B2B where, you may have educated the customer up front, but let's take Xerox or a copy machine company. Uh, Mary Lou, the the copy uh, rep, is going to turn over in six or nine months, and somebody new is going to be the key operator. So... Basically, what Xerox found was that if that new person came in and was not well educated, they had double or triple the number of machine failures because nobody trained me. Therefore, the way I clear a paper jam is to yank. Now I've broken Mm. the machine and we have an emergency repair and satisfaction goes down dramatically when you have a bunch of emergency repairs. So it got to the point where Xerox would offer the customers a free box of paper if they would just tell Xerox when there was turnover in a key operator position so they could come back and retrain that person because it was to their benefit to have that person trained so they didn't have a bunch of emergency repairs. So so anyway, the the, the first step is to, to flag who the customers are who need to be educated. Mm-hmm. The next one is the toughest. It's motivating the customer to want to be educated. It's getting you to read your 100-page hundred, hundred uh uh, homeowners policy. Now, in fact, there's there's a, a way around that, which is that we highlight the three biggest problems in the on the first page in bold, so you don't necessarily have to read the whole hundred pages. But we've identified four ways of motivating the customer to get educated. The first one is to scare the customer. And uh, Avis does this gently with the fine print that says, uh, here's the fine print that's important to read and they put that in bold. And so you'll read that one paragraph that has the four bullet points. And again, one needs to have bullet points because nobody's gonna read a a bunch of gray. Uh, Interestingly enough, Tesla, tells buyers that they will not be given their car until they have watched all 28 minutes of the educational video. Now, truth be known, they will give you the car. But they, again, are kind of scaring you into you really need to watch this video because electric cars are very different than than regular cars. Mm -hmm. So the first one is scaring them. The second one is bribe them. And Navigate Credit Union in Rhode Island gives customers a discount on mortgage interest rates. They actually give them a quarter point less rate uh, if they are willing to watch a three-minute video. And that's kind of surprising, except that they have found that educated customers get into many less problems and are Cheaper to service than someone who hasn't been educated, so it actually is a bargain for them to give you a quarter point less uh, in exchange for you watching the video. Uh, the third one is to challenge people in terms of saying, uh, "Okay, we've just you know, we've just you know educated you, or, or you know welcome to the family, and here's here's an email that tells you about our uh, a product, let's say internet or something like that." can you pass this three-question test? And so you're challenging them. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I, I think I know how, the, how this works. And so you take the three-question test and you get two of the questions wrong. And all of a sudden, it's, oh, really? And then, then you get educated. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is you basically don't let them leave till they're educated. And one Las Vegas credit union is an interesting example of this because uh, they sign people up in, in the branch, and they will not let you leave until you turn over your smartphone, and they load the mobile app. And that seems like a challenge, but in fact, 98% of their customers use the mobile app and the average age of their customer base is over 55 years of age. But uh, they basically, if you go to the work of, of loading the mobile app and then take 10 minutes saying, okay, here are the three primary functions you need to, to know how to do, people are they now know how to do it. So they're perfectly happy using the app. It's, you can't just lead the horse to water. You have to force them to take the first sip. Mm
0: -hmm. Boy, John, it, it, it just seems so sensible to me what you're suggesting, but, but boy organizations make it really complex or don't even think in these terms. So when you give give some of those examples just now I was like yeah that makes total sense oh I see how they're doing that yet so many don't do it
1: yeah um, and and again it's it's well yeah yeah we ought to do it but education is so boring to most people and it, it's it seems like it's a fluff when in fact it is it can can increase Customer loyalty, 10 or 15%. And the other interesting thing is that uh, educating people on problems uh, is, is actually a delighter. I had the, 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 the CMO of one of the biggest investment companies, who will go nameless, who, who when I talked about you know educating people on unpleasant surprises, laughed nervously and said, you know, it's really not in the DNA of marketing guys to talk about problems. But what we found was that, and this was at USAA, at at research with Mm -hmm. them, that one of the biggest single delighters was you cared enough to warn me how to stay out of trouble. And, And we had one customer at USAA who on a survey said, well, I called up to make this investment. And the financial advisor looked at my account and said, well, I wouldn't make the investment. To be honest, I would pay off my credit card bills. And it was sort of like your mother telling you to clean your room. <laughs> right. and, and he said, I was really angry for about two minutes until it hit me that USAA was foregoing a sale for my best interest. I'll be a USAA customer for life. Indeed. So saying no to a stupid thing a customer wants to do is actually a
0: delighter. Mm-hmm. And, and And a long-term relationship builder. Great example.
1: Yeah. So so anyway. So so you've got to motivate customers. Then you have to educate them. And the key thing there is is to educate. Don't a lot of the world says if uh, educating you on three things is good, educating you on ten things is better. No, doesn't work that way. Uh, people can absorb maybe five. Things. So what you do is pick the top three and educate them a la my insurance example of the welcome letter, or somehow put it in front of them, or the installer says here are the three things you need to know about your internet. And uh, we, we, Audi found that their most successful salesman was The one who at new car delivery would say, okay, I'm not going to sit here for a half an hour and educating you because I know you don't want that. But what are the three things I can educate you on right now? And then I'll let you drive off the lot with the caveat that you'll come back in two weeks and let me educate you on the other three things you weren't able to figure out on your own. And that salesman had the highest levels of customer satisfaction across the entire company.
0: Wow. <laughs> Amazing
1: example. Yeah. So, so, so basically uh, the third step is educating them on the three most prevalent problems. And then the fourth one is educating them on where do you go to get support? Okay. You, you know enough to be dangerous now, so we're going to let you go. Uh, but uh, here's, how you get to our FAQs. Here is an online community. Here is our 800 number. And the, the big challenge we see on, on getting people to, to support is that you go to the 90% of the world when they have a problem, before they would call an 800 number, they will go to your website. And the problem is that the homepage doesn't really highlight problem-solving. The homepage tends to be marketing. It's owned by the marketing department. And marketing says, oh, that's valuable real estate. And I literally had a CMO in the last week who said, we don't have the space to put a whole bunch of support stuff on the homepage. Well, I then asked him, what percentage of your visitors to the homepage are existing customers versus new potential customers? He didn't know. Well, I did, know because I'd worked with service, and in fact, 75% of all the visitors to the homepage were existing customers trying to get something done, so you could at least allocate 10 or 15% of that real estate to the top five issues that uh, the customer is going to encounter, and if you have hyperlinks for those, you then don't get the phone calls because the customer says, oh, I got this problem. Oh, here's, here's the link, and I can immediately move to it. And a great example of this is Aflac, the insurance company. Uh, they, they, their head of service said, oh, we're getting you know th- tens of thousands of calls on how do I print my invoice? And the IT department in the meeting said, oh, but, but you can print your invoice. There's a link four clicks in on the contact us page stop let's move that link to the home page right. and the number of clicks on that link went from 30,000 a month to 120,000 a month in 1 month now what were the other 90,000 people doing they were being grumpy or they were you know thrashing around trying to figure out how to print or they called their agent and basically by moving that link from one place to another you solved 90,000 problems instantaneously So uh, putting stuff on the homepage is something that we get tremendous uh, pushback from marketing on. But it's one of the best and simplest things that you can do
0: now. And John, somehow I think that we that example, they might have been celebrating the 30,000 clicks instead of the 90,000 People that weren't clicking, you know, yes. we, our perspective is reversed sometimes, right? Oh, exactly. Uh, it's it's you're looking at what you can see as opposed to
1: what you can't see, which right. is one of the biggest things. This is the thing that that really generated uh, the GE Answer Center was the fact that a high percentage of customers who are frustrated and have questions don't bother calling, or they will make one try and if rebuffed or can't find what they're looking for, say the hell with it, and and they're they're grumpy about you but they're never going to tell you about it. And so the idea is to, uh, at least every once in a while, go to a random sample of your customers and say, have you had any problems? Here's a list of the problems. And did you tell us about those problems? And you will be shocked to find that your complaint rates are probably anywhere between 10 and 30%, but the balance of those customers have never told you about it, but they're still spreading negative word of mouth about
0: you. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Now the fifth step is providing additional education on how to get full value, uh, additional features, cross-selling, etc. And this is okay, you're now a veteran customer, you're using our product, but we notice you're only using four of the 10 features. Here's two more features that you can use. And that's somebody's benefit because the customer is now getting more value from the product and their stickiness goes up in terms of, of willingness to uh, to stay with you. And in many cases, you can cross-sell. And so uh, we find that uh, video chat is a great way of uh, educating customers further. And Intuit has actually found that video chat increases trust in the company by 30% because of the eye contact. And we're actually seeing now that chat and video chat are are on their way to surpassing the telephone as the primary channel.
0: Outstanding.
1: <clears throat> and then the last step is evaluating uh, your onboarding process. And this can be done very simply, going back all the way back to the beginning to the logistics company. What this group VP did was that he initiated a new customer survey where the survey basically asked the customer, were you told about these three things? And that was then plugged into the incentive system for the salespeople. And that incentive basically motivated them to be transparent to the customer. And all of a sudden those kinds of problems uh, went down dramatically. So so the critical thing is to evaluate, are you effectively educating customers? And the, the, the simplest question to ask yourself as to whether your onboarding is working is, are there a whole bunch of problems that customers are encountering that we're having to clean up after the fact or apologize for, uh, that if the customer just would have been educated, they wouldn't have run into those. And that's where we find, given that, that sales doesn't want to do the education, that customer service or customer experience should basically say, give us the resources and we can reduce problems by 30% and increase the net promoter score by, by you know, 10 or 20 points. And it's not gonna cost very much, but it's, again, we're the people who did the original research that it costs five times as much to get a new customer as to keep one. And this is a place where that cost benefit uh, really is, is shown in spades.
0: Uh, It certainly is, John. And those six steps, not only, as I said earlier, make complete sense, um, it would be difficult for anybody, even though you gave some examples of, of pushback that you did receive to argue with making these investments, because in many cases, they may not take substantial investments to achieve these steps, and they produce a better onboarding for uh, the organization's customers. I, I, to me, it seems like a win-win and makes complete and logical sense to address these six steps.
1: Great. Yeah. And, and one, one last story. Uh, we also find humor works very well. And Zipcar uh, has taken a really boring topic called Extending Your Reservation. And they created a 49-second video uh, that's a soap opera where this uh, young woman, attractive young woman drives up in her zip car to meet an obviously new boyfriend who has a picnic spread out and her facial expression is, ooh, this is neat, ooh, this is gonna take more time. And so she starts surreptitiously extending her reservation on her smartphone and the narrator comes over and sits down on the blanket and starts eating the grapes while educating you on four ways of using your smartphone to extend your reservation. And it's it's reasonably funny and 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 fun to watch. It's only forty nine seconds, but they educate you on something you really need to know how to use.
0: That's excellent, John. Thank you. Before I wrap up, where I think you've wet a lot of appetites with this discussion on the six steps to better onboarding. Where can our listeners get more info from from you? What's the well, best resource? Our
1: our, our website is customer care M- Customer Care Measurement and Consulting. Uh, it's customercaremc.com. And uh, you also can uh, uh, get my books on Amazon, uh, Customer Experience 3.0 and Strategic Customer Service. And the uh, we are just posting a new working paper on customer onboarding uh, on the website that you will be able to uh, access and uh, uh, make use of.
0: Fantastic. Thanks again, John, for joining me for this uh, content-rich podcast. To our listeners of All Things Considered CX, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues in the profession and uh, with members of your organization, these great insights on onboarding customers. And until our next episode, this is Bob Espin, your host of All Things Considered CX.